0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, the casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We'll join the crew this week to talk about an issue that may come up during holidays, birthdays, family gatherings, or in our social circles. What are the boundaries between the offense of the gospel and simply being offensive? And when have we crossed the line from being helpful to harmful with our Christian evangelism?
1: So, Carl. Hey, Amy. How are you doing? I'm
2: doing fine. Yourself?
1: I'm doing pretty good. I was um, thinking about this week, you know, we've been starting this new desperate theologizer where we like to nominate a new desperate. Theologian who of the week for our bully pulpits, where we see some articles that just people are picking some interesting topics, whether it's about cupcakes or TV shows, and um, trying just a little too hard to theologize that topic. And I think I think you got a pretty good one for us this week, don't you? Yeah, we're actually
2: breaking with uh, tradition in that we're not going to spend our our first few minutes rubbishing Baptists or errant Presbyterians at this point, we're going for an element in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. Oh,
1: interesting. I
2: want to talk about the 5-2 Network, which is uh, built around the idea of the sacramental entrepreneur. Mm. Let me tell you what a sacramental entrepreneur is, all gleaned from their website. Men and women who have a deep love for the mysterious work of Jesus in the sacraments and realize that because he's really present in them, they are the presence of Jesus, his sacraments, in their communities. Therefore, they want to start new, to reach new. Well, I'll give you a little bit of the history here of the uh, the network, the Sacramental Entrepreneur Network, again, drawn from their own website. In March 2009, after a few years of talking about it, nine church planters gathered in a makeshift conference room in a Lutheran community church in Katy, Texas. We brought in high-powered vision guru Will Mancini and asked him to help us stop talking and start doing. He did. After 24 hours of praying and dreaming and cigar smoking, we arrived at 5-2. Actually, the name careened out from the doctored brain of Scott Risch, who deftly explained the 5,000 plus were fed by five loaves and two fish, belonging to one of the 5,000 plus. The disciples were blind to the resources in front of them and blind to Jesus' power to multiply them. Modern translation, everything the planter needs to feed his community is already in the community. It just needs to be brought to Jesus for blessing. We all sat in silent awe and then bought 5 two dot com. <laughs> Silence led to light bulbs and a quick pregnancy happened. I don't give much detail yes. on how that thing happened. Uh, we would launch a church planting network specialising in the personal how. When it came to planting churches, immigrants, suburban, high cost, low cost, more traditional, hey, crazily progressive, this crew knew how great consensus broke out and we whiteboarded the steps to launch a network that brought personal and how together for those frontline harvesters in the U.S. and around the world. In 2011, after building out 5.2.com, we hosted our first annual wiki conference and launched six 5.2 locals, all to equip the frontline starter. 2013 saw a shift in terminology moving from church planters to sacramental entrepreneurs, because we realise that churches that have not started anything in decades needed to start small before going big. The title change included more people in the startup culture. So here we are, the train has left the station, steam spewing from the stack, but slowly enough that you can leap on board at the next crossing. The more people in the car, the more fun the trip. We hope you'll join us. (laughs) And so I'm delighted to announce that Bill Woolsey of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's 5-2 Network, you are this week's Desperate Theologizer. We would like to encourage any listeners out there who uh, know of uh, ripe candidates for the award of Desperate Theologizer to contact us at m o s at org, and we will consider all applications, but strictly on a merit basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be kind of hard, though, to beat the personal how
2: the personal I mean, isn't that fantastic I was on board you know this it was steaming from the station at that point and I was on board and hey you know the more people the better the party fantastic <laughs> fantastic
0: Desperado Why don't you come to your senses You've been out riding fences For so long now You're a hard one, but I know that you got your reasons. These things that are pleasing you can hurt you somehow.
1: All right. Well, what are we really talking about today?
2: Well, first of all, where's our co host? Sorry?
1: We're missing someone.
2: Yeah, tell us so. Uh, where where's Todd?
1: Todd, we tried to get a hold of Todd for our recording today, but um, apparently he is the keynote speaker for a Kenneth Copeland rally called the Anointed uh, 2016 <laughs> Rally for Ted Cruz. So, oh, um, fantastic. We're missing him today for his <laughs> political causes.
2: So do you think he and Ken Copeland are doing the personal how
1: together? I think that's exactly what's happening. And this may be some sort of sacramental entrepreneur thing going on.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. I know he's a huge Ken Copeland man. I didn't realize he was so know, into Ted yeah. Cruz, but but that's fascinating. What can you say? Yeah, what a privilege. What a privilege. So
1: what are we going to talk about without our better third? Yeah.
2: What are we going to talk about?
1: Well, um, with Easter coming up, there are some interesting questions that um, – we've been talking about a little bit, and that's just, um, you know, when you have unbelievers coming into your household, maybe from your family or maybe neighbors that you invite or friends over for fellowship, even just family meals or, um, let's say, an Easter dinner or inviting to church, Where what are the boundaries that we should have with unbelievers as far as praying with them and um, what we share? I know that there's different... Methods and apologetics just for witnessing, but even something simple as um, having an unbeliever over for dinner—do um, you cross that uncomfortable boundary of praying? Or what if you're you're invited to an unbeliever's home? Do you yeah, then well, force that there in their home? Yeah, I
2: certainly think if somebody's coming to my house for dinner, it's kind of my house, my rules, mm-hmm. and typically we would say grace before dinner. I might actually say to Friends who had not been at our house before, when we were saying grace. You know, do you mind if we say grace? Uh, not really asking for permission, but just signalling to them that this is about to happen. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of the, the English way of doing things. You never actually tell people directly. You you sort of uh, ask them the question and imply the answer in the way that you ask it. I see. I do think if you go to somebody else's house, then the same thing applies. If it's their house, it's their rules. Mm-hmm. And if I was at a, you know. For example, a few years ago, some Jewish friends invited uh, Katrina and myself over for a Hanukkah celebration. I would not have gone in there and demanded that uh, we actually conform to Christian rites while doing that. It's right. it's their family, and it's the head of household's decision on on what goes on there. And I'd apply the same to unbelieving friends. My my mum's not a Christian. When I mm-hmm. when I'm home visiting my mum, I quietly say grace to myself before a meal, but I don't demand that everybody else sits at the table in silence while i while i verbalize grace i feel that would be somehow pharisaical actually
1: Mm -hmm. and do you feel like um your prayers are different like do you pray any different when you have unbelievers in your home (laughs)
2: Well, the mad woman would tell you when she visits our house and we say grace that, you know, blink and you miss my graces anyway because they're (laughs) they're so quick. (laughs) It's why you and your husband asked me to say grace in the restaurants on Saturday night. That's right. I knew just who to ask. You knew that I would deliver within the space of about three seconds.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Matt's prayer would have been a little more long-winded. It went right for you.
2: By the way, I stayed at a great bed and breakfast just outside Frederick on Saturday night and Sunday morning the landlady actually fetched me coffee. It was fantastic. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were we talking right. about again? <laughs> we're
1: talking about unbelievers and boundaries. That's and right. I don't know, like I think sometimes like uh, Matt has some relatives who are not believers whom we have over quite a bit and sometimes, especially around the holidays. I plan the prayer a little bit.
0: Hmm.
1: I think about what I'm going to say cuz I know that they're fine praying with us before the meal and they know that that's going to happen and this is my one chance maybe to share a little something, you know, yeah. um about God and and about our relationship with him in that prayer and what we're thankful for. So sometimes I I see it as you know, you don't want to be long-winded, but a small window to witness, yeah, yeah. in my but household.
2: That, that would be in your house, though. You would do in that my at your house, home. yes.
1: I, in their house, we go and by their house's rules. Yeah, yeah. What
2: about in everyday conversation with friends? Uh, to what extent do you feel that you should be introducing the gospel all the time in conversation with friends and neighbours?
1: Mm-hmm. Because even I don't know in our culture today. I think there's certain catchwords that. I try to avoid saying because there's a lot of words like even faith that a lot of people will take with a totally different meaning. Mm. And so I can be saying something very true and very meaningful to myself about my faith. But if I'm not just a little bit detailed about it and qualify that, um, they could take it to mean anything from just personal belief in their own goodness or, um, wishful thinking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's tough, because the, the language has been so debased. Um, I've often actually thought this about America in particular, that because Christian language so pervades the culture, it's actually harder to express Christian truths, because the language one would normally use to do that in is so common and has been injected with so much cultural content. Back home in, in, in Britain and in Europe, there's such an antithesis, I think, between christianity and the way the world is you still have a distinctively christian vocabulary for expressing yourself in a way that here that's not quite the case right. um, we took talk, talking about todd's friend kenneth copeland just earlier on mm-hmm, you know kenneth mm-hmm. copeland uses this language in a way that you know todd would not recognize mm-hmm. but it's the same language it's the same language
1: right and there's a lot of um identifying now like positive thinking with christianity yeah and yeah. so uh you know, we'll use all these positive thinking movement language and associate that with faith as well. So um, we do need to be careful or just a little detailed maybe. Yeah. And and going back to the restaurant thing, I think, um, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable praying in restaurants a lot of the time because, you know, that's maybe why I point to you to pray because (laughs) I know you're the fast (laughs) one. Um, And, you know, I think that the waiter is uncomfortable if they walk in Mm. on it, they don't quite know what to do. Yeah. Um, One time, someone shared in our church that they ask their waiter if there's anything that they could pray for them, since they're going to be praying for their meal, and if they would want mm. to pray with them or not. Mm. What do you think about that? I
2: remember hearing, I think it was, a, I heard a, a sermon of Tabiti Anwabile, recommending that people do that might Mm -hmm. have been one of his together for the gospel sermons somewhere somewhere in the archive where he strongly recommended that and said that he'd had very good experience of doing that i would find that temperamentally very hard i'm an english Mm -hmm. guy religion's a private thing you know i like to be in a restaurant and and fade into the background and not be noticed so i personally would find that very very hard and awkward to do let's not to say it isn't a good thing to do right but man it would you know I think it would probably stop me dining out if I felt I'd kind to do that you know just, hanging I'd, over I'd your just, head I'd just stay home and make a cheese toasty you know
1: so. <laughs> or maybe it would be good just to include the waiter in your prayer sometimes without them yeah, knowing but yeah. I do think that if you're going to do something like that you better also give a good tip yeah <laughs> yeah you would be you know what, my advice because it's kind of like putting the the Christian fish on your car, yeah. I'm way too bad of a driver.
2: We to know put that we on know. my
1: car.
2: <laughs> we've we've seen you driving. We've heard the stories. Um, I've seen your photograph in the Maryland police record. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> Maryland. <laughs> Maryland.
1: What's wrong Maryland. with that? Maryland.
2: Maryland. Mer- <laughs> Maryland. Maryland. I've seen it in the Maryland police record. <laughs> you people can't speak. You take all these English words and you you can't pronounce them. Well, it uh, helps
1: us be able to pronounce marijuana better. <laughs> we would like Art. to. You yeah, to say let's go one back more time to that. For us. It's a blast from the past.
2: Going back to the topic of praying in restaurants, I did have a <laughs> colleague, um, in fact, just swiftly change the subject. Uh, I pronounced restaurant correctly, did I?
1: Yes. Yes, r- you we r- 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 continue. R- uh,
2: going back to praying in restaurants, a former colleague of mine, uh, John Lennart, would always say to students that they should pray with their eyes open. In restaurants, because what? he felt that if you closed your eyes, it made you look a bit righteous and Pharisaical. So he said, "Say grace, but say it with your eyes open."
1: Interesting. Um, and
2: I've actually, I actually feel less awkward doing that. But I suspect it may look even weirder when the <laughs> uh, when the waiter bumps into you. Um,
1: yeah, that's interesting.
2: He probably well, thinks you're talking on your phone or something.
1: Yeah, they might think you're like part of a new sect, mm. and you're just exercising your your personal how. Yeah, Maybe my
2: personal hair. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Well, here's another thing that I've noticed, too, with just the, the pressure. You know, because you do want to give a good witness to unbelievers, and especially ones that are in your family. And they can sometimes be the hardest ones, the, the most mm. difficult to, to witness to. And yet you know that when they're in your house, um, this may be the most they see of Christ. Is yeah, yeah. just in your own household. And yeah. so what are, what are ways that you can convey that well? And um, one thing I always go back to is after reading Rosaria Butterfield, too, is just um, it's interesting that the pastor, his name was Ken, I think I want to say Smith. I'm not sure. But that's kind of yeah. my whole point. The pastor who witnessed to her did it over period of time of getting to know her as a person you know yeah. not just um, she wasn't just a sinner because she was a homosexual she was someone lost because she didn't yeah. have Christ and um, they just really showed her love and there's no book out now written by this pastor of how he won over Rosaria Butterfield you know no. like I don't no. even know if I got his name right He, it's not about that Yeah, and I just think that's something that is encouraging to me too, because sometimes I also put a lot of pressure on myself like yeah. um, and then we end up glorifying ourselves instead yeah. of really doing god's work and sharing him with others and sharing the good news
2: yeah i think I think showing what a good household is like the danger is you know with my own mother, she'll sometimes make a comment about you know it's great that you've got the church because you're all great friends and you all look after each other, and my mom sees it in pragmatic. Terms mm-hmm. as yeah it's a, it's a lo- it's great you've got such a lovely community without seeing the truths that that's rooted in right but I think that's still an important aspect that there's something there that my mum who's not a Christian sees as attractive and desirable I think I think that mm-hmm. is not an insignificant thing and can create the ground for maybe somebody else speaking right. the gospel into someone's life like that I do remember when my own dad was. Uh, was dying in hospital and Katrina and I were praying very much that the Lord would put a Christian his way. And I was going to say, as luck would have it, humanly speaking, Mm. um, the the voluntary chaplain on the ward happened to be somebody I'd been at church with 15 years before who recognized the surname. Just asked my dad if he was related to me. And and when dad said yes, first of all, he probably expressed some sympathy to my father. (laughs) And then he... He he, would, he went back several times and sat and read the Bible and prayed with him. And there, I think, what my dad had hopefully seen in, in my own household had at least prepared him for positive reception right. of the gospel from somebody else at that particular mm-hmm. point. Um, That's so, a really
1: good point. Is yeah. Sometimes they don't want to hear it from <clears throat> us, no matter how hard we try, but um, we're still giving that witness and planting that seed and yeah. and even watering it a lot. Yeah. Um and hopefully and and that we could be happy that somebody else may be the one Yeah. yeah um to share that with them in a receptive way. Yeah. Um that God used us, you know, for part of it and yeah. and that's an honor and a privilege as well. And and I just think that it's it's part of being a Christian is just loving God and and also loving your neighbor. Yeah and that's all encompassing yeah it's not just loving them with uh, um, giving them the good news as wonderful wonderful and urgent as that can be but um, loving them in our home you know even fetching them coffee sometimes no matter how wretched they may be (laughs)
2: <laughs> that really prepared me for the reception of the gospel yesterday afternoon, actually. You know? I see. I, I was see. thinking, maybe, maybe this Christianity is worth looking into. If, <laughs> if women fetch your coffee over breakfast, that's fantastic.
1: We need Todd back.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, we hope you've uh, enjoyed today's podcast. The issue of how to relate to unbelieving friends, relatives, and neighbors is... A difficult one, a perennial one, and one I think where it isn't an issue of one size fits all. Personal relationships are always unique and complicated, but we hope that in what we've said, we've sown a few ideas in your minds as to how you might handle those awkward boundaries that come up with remarkable regularity if we're doing our job right as Christians and being salt and light in the communities and the families in which the Lord has placed us. So we hope you found this a helpful podcast and we look forward to you joining us next time. Please check out our blog at mortificationofspin.org.
0: Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith, and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. While it's important to love our friends, family, and neighbors, and it's important to use discernment in our evangelism— the cross carries an inherent offense to it. That's why we're offering a message, Offensive Blood, at our website this week. Go to mortificationofspin.org to listen to Robert Godfrey talk about the offense and the wonder of the blood of Christ. And join us next week for guest John McLean talking about God's mission in the family. We'll hear an Australian take on how the family relates to the church, how the family reflects the image of God, and much more.
2: Perhaps you'd like to kick off by giving us a, a, a brief summary of why is it important that we address the issue of the biblical nature of the family at this
0: point in time. We have families who, if the kid has a game, that takes Precedence the, the, over yeah, worship. that takes it, and right. it's just never even yeah. questioned. And and the whole rationale is, it's because I love my family. I'm trying to serve yeah. my family.
1: Where does um, submission come in there? You know. W- and loving your wife sacrificially come in there? Is it asking her to, to worship here where you believe you sh- your family should be? Or is it lovingly giving in and serving her where you feel she feels she's thriving?
0: That's next time. And hey, don't forget to head over to mortificationofspin.org to find articles from Amy, Todd, and Carl and to listen to Offensive Blood by Robert Godfrey.
1: So, Carl, I was waiting for you to respond to me. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was, I was reading my email.
2: <laughs> I, I was reading my email. Sorry.
0: Was, reading your put my, email. You put
2: my phone well We away. are doing
1: a recording. You cannot multitask. So,
2: I got more important things to do than talk to you, Bunch. Come on. Clearly. <laughs> Gee,
1: whiz. Okay.
2: Okay. Start us again.